We've been waiting for you. Come on in. It's Talk 10 Tuesday from May 10th, 2022 with Dr. Eric Reamer. Chuck Buck is on assignment. Today, Dr. John Zellum is at the Tuesday News Desk. Reporting the latest coding news is Lori Johnson, Senior Healthcare Consultant with Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. Colleen Deegan, Senior Healthcare Consultant with 3MHIS Consulting, has our Tuesday focus. With our lead story today is Jerry Fletcher, nationally recognized professional coder, auditor, and consultant. And Dr. Reamer delivers her talkback segment. Now here's the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, and the only person we know who tips her Amazon driver, and generously, Erica Reamer. <laughs> I was f- afraid that I wasn't going to get to hear you do something like that, Clark, since Chuck wasn't on, and we will miss him. But thank you, Clark Anthony. And hello, everyone, and welcome to the 507th live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Um, I missed you last week, and I'd like to thank Susan Gatehouse for stepping in for me. I'd also like to take a moment to wish our listeners happy Nurses Week, especially if it applies to you. We have a great lineup, and my talkback is going to piggyback on Rose Dunn's discussion of the problem list from a few weeks back. We have much news to report, and we begin with Dr. John Zellum at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Deck. Thanks, Erica, and good morning to everyone. Happy Nurses Week. When I was a resident in general surgery many years ago, so it seems, I was frequently told that my best friends will be the nurses that I work with. They can either make you or break you, and that was so true. They can help during some of the toughest moments of training and even afterwards. I was told all the time, treat them with respect. Sadly, I must say that I may not have been so nice to utilization review nurses, but that's a story for another time. Uh, And I have repented in many ways. This week is a great time to recognize the great work that nurses do, especially in this time of so much turmoil. I have no intentions to list the challenges being experienced now as that only highlights negativity, and I want to focus on the positive aspects. The American Nurses Association chose, quote, nurses make a difference, end of quote, as this year's National Nurses Week theme to honor the varying roles of nurses and their positive impact on our lives. I would like to take that one step further and highlight the nursing profession with one word, trust. There are so many definitions of trust, but the one I like the best is that trust is a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. It is the foundation and the glue of a relationship, and we all know about the nurse-patient, the nurse-doctor relationships. Although there are many, many professionals and non-professionals involved with patient care, nurses should be celebrated for their role during this week. Trust is a two-way street based on honesty, compassion, and concern. We know that nurses don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Nurses have a skill set that goes beyond their medical and technical skills. They're like your bartender, but in a different setting, and of course, without the alcohol, hopefully. The time they spend with patients and their families helps them to gain insights into their patients' wants, needs, behaviors, health habits, and concerns making them uniquely positioned to become important advocates in their care. Yet nurses are not just limited to the hospital setting, the acute care setting. We find them everywhere where healthcare settings exist, like urgent care centers, physicians' offices, to community roles such as schools. In concluding, when I see a member of the present or past military community, I always try to say to them, 
thank you for your service. We should take a similar moment to say thank you to nurses we know and those we don't. Happy Nurses Week, and thank you for your service. Back to you, Erica. That was great. Thank you, Dr. John Zellum. Dr. Zellum is the founder and CEO of Streamline Solutions Consulting. It is Tuesday, May 10th, and you're listening to the 507th live edition of Talk 10 Tuesdays. Stand by. The extensive resources available from Find-A-Code make finding the correct codes easier than ever, allowing you to process more claims more accurately and in less time. Find-A-Code lets you build a flexible, personalized package of tools that specifically meet your needs. Choose one of three subscription levels, then customize your subscription by adding more specific code references, guides, policies, reports, and exclusive Find-A-Code tools. You get the most value for your money by buying only what you need. Find-A-Code's online libraries include extensive information for all major code sets, along with a wealth of supplemental material, such as newsletters and manuals. It's all indexed, searchable, and organized for quick access and extensive cross-referencing. Find-A-Code, the most complete and easy-to-use software for coding professionals, helping you save time, increase revenue, and avoid denials. See everything Find-A-Code has to offer at findacode.com slash talk10. That's findacode.com slash talk10. Now is the time for Talk 10 Tuesday's Coding Report with Lori Johnson. Good morning, Erica, and welcome back. And hello to our listeners. May is National Celiac Disease Awareness Month. Celiac disease, which is hereditary, affects 3 million Americans. This disease is a chronic digestive and autoimmune disorder that damages the small intestine. You may also hear the term celiac sprue or gluten-sensitive enteropathy. The disease causes an immune reaction to the protein found in wheat, barley, or rye. The symptoms include diarrhea, fatigue, weight loss, bloating and gas, abdominal pain, nausea and vomiting, and constipation. Other diseases that may develop in adults include anemia, osteoporosis, dermatitis herpetiformis, mouth ulcers, headaches and fatigue, numbness and tingling in the hands and feet, joint pain, and hyposplenism. There is no cure for celiac disease. The treatment is a strict gluten-free diet. The coding for celiac disease is K90.0. There, there are use additional code instructions, which include dermatitis herbitiformis, L13.0, and gluten ataxia, G32.81. There was also a code also instruction for exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, K86.81. For more information about Celiac Disease Awareness Month, please visit https colon front slash front slash celiac.org. And with that, back to you, Erica. Thanks, Lori. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is a senior healthcare consultant at Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. Now, here with our Tuesday focus is Colleen Deegan. 
Hi, Erica, and uh, hello to all the listeners today. It's always good to be back on Talk 10 Tuesday. Um, as many of you know, I usually talk about outpatient CDI, and that's not going to change today. So really talking about, you know, just the case for documentation integrity in the outpatient setting, and what can we learn from our inpatient peers. Uh, you know, so clinical documentation integrity programs, also known as CDI programs, have proven their worth in the hospital inpatient setting for many years, many decades, with a focus on complete and accurate clinical documentation to ensure the accuracy of the patient's clinical picture and how that impacts proper payment, accurate case mix index, of course, along with public reporting, disease tracking, and medical research. Many hospitals that implemented CDI programs in the hospital setting have seen a reduction in claim denials, which causes tremendous administrative burden, and improvement in proper payment and accurate quality scores. Healthcare delivery has been shifting for some time now from inpatient to outpatient. And with that, payers, both government and commercial payers, are moving to a prospective risk adjustment payment model and away from fee-for-service. So certainly we've seen this for, you know, again, our inpatient setting is perspective. Um, our outpatient hospital is perspective and now kind of moving into these more, um, you know, professional settings in this shift. Uh, so that's driving the need for outpatient CDI programs with a focus on clinical documentation and provider education in outpatient settings for the same reasons. Just like an inpatient, clinical documentation in outpatient and physician or professional settings is important to the quality of care for individual patients, for accurate reimbursement, and for population health initiatives. Healthcare organizations can benefit by expanding their CDI program into hospital outpatient settings, um, such as the emergency department, observation, same-day surgery, and into the physician office setting and even home health as some examples. There is many benefits to an outpatient CDI program, uh, starting with accurate ICD-10 code assignments. So diagnosis specificity supported by clinical evidence in the medical record impacts uh, things like HCC assignment, the hierarchical condition categories, big focus in the hospital physician clinic setting. Uh, accurate CPT and APC assignment, just like MSDRGs, APCs or ambulatory payment classifications, our prospective payment for facility outpatients. So accurate documentation supports accurate APC assignment. Proper payment in general, high quality documentation is just as important in the outpatient setting to receive proper payment for services provided. Um, and certainly accurate quality scores are tied uh, to things like APCs and other payment models and reduction in claim denials. You know, just thinking of the volume of records in the outpatient setting, uh, a CDI program can have a huge impact on, on outpatient and professional denials. So what can we learn from our inpatient peers and inpatient programs that can help us in the outpatient setting? There are structural differences, certainly, between outpatient and inpatient, and the biggest challenge, of course, in the outpatient CDI setting is the volume and quick turnover of the visits. So you think about staffing and volume and timing of the documentation in the outpatient setting, that can really be a big barrier to a CDI program. Certainly a concurrent review, which we do in the inpatient setting, is not likely possible, but a prospective review or a retrospective re review 
prior to claim submission can be engineered for success in the outpatient setting. A queries, central tool to support communication between CDI professionals and the providers is the main responsibility of a CDI professional, really to identify the gaps in the clinical documentation and to send queries to clarify documentation when those gaps are identified. It is crucial, just like an inpatient, that query a query process is compliant. Query templates with all the information on the query should be specific to the individual patient all queries should include the clinical evidence from the medical record that prompted the request for clarification. There are some excellent resources to the components of a compliant query process from um, both ACTIS, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and AHIMA, the American Health Information Management Association. I encourage you to access those, to read those, and incorporate them into the policies and procedures of your outpatient CDI program. Monitoring the success of your outpatient CDI program can be determined by developing metrics very similar as, uh, as a starting point to the metrics we see on the inpatient setting. Uh, review rate, query rate, response rate to our queries, denial rates, long been measured to show impact and return on investment. CDI programs focus on having high quality, complete and accurate documentation that tell the true story of the encounter and the patient's condition are necessary for outpatient services. Sharing knowledge and collaborating with our inpatient colleagues is critical to the success of outpatient CDI. And with that, I'm turning back over to you, Erica. Thank you, Colleen. And we'd all like to wish you a very happy wedding this weekend. That was consultant at 3M Health Information Systems, Colleen Deegan. Coming up next, Terry Fletcher with the lead story. You are listening to the 507th episode of Talk 10 Tuesdays. Stand by. Each year, the Inpatient Prospective Payment System, IPS, proposed rule contains impactful changes, including to the ICD-10 CMPCS classification systems, MSDRGs, as well as new technology add-on payments, or NTAPs. Proposed changes are often a mixed bag for hospitals with positive and negative impacts. Whether good or bad, it is important to understand the proposed changes in the coding and methodology in order to prepare your facility and coders promptly. During an ICD-10 Monitor webcast, Coding Authority Lori Johnson will provide essential education on the changes contained in the fiscal year 2023 IPS proposed rule. That webcast is Wednesday, May 18th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Register now to attend. Now is the time for our lead story, which is proudly sponsored. Today's lead story is sponsored by Find-A-Code, home of the most complete and easy-to-use software for medical coders, helping you save time, increase revenue, and avoid denials. More online at findacode.com slash talk10. Here now to report our lead story is Terry Fletcher. Good morning, Erica, and good morning, listeners. So one of the questions I get on a weekly basis is, can I bill for both an office visit and a preventative medicine visit on the same date? Well, there is not an easy answer, but there are coding and billing rules to guide you when you make this decision to do so. You need to review and understand the rules separating preventative medicine and evaluation and management coding before you dive headfirst. Problem-oriented E&M services or office and other outpatient visits, 99202 to 215, 
are for patients with signs, symptoms, conditions, diagnosis, and are presenting problems that need to be addressed by a physician or qualified healthcare professional. Preventative medicine codes are meant for the reporting of asymptomatic patients for risk factor reduction to establish care, and services are largely dependent on the age of the patient. However, in order to sign a preventative medicine code, you also need a comprehensive evaluation documented. Medicare does not cover the CPT codes 99381 to 99397, the routine preventative medicine codes in the CPT book. If you utilize those codes for a Medicare patient, they will be 100% responsible for the payment. CMS, however, does pay for preventative type services initially and ongoing. Medicare has a welcome to Medicare preventative visit or an initial preventative physical exam, IPPE, covered once per lifetime within 12 months of Part B enrollment. And then the initial and annual wellness visits, which are risk assessment questionnaires, not really exams, to keep up with Medicare patients' prevention plans for good health. And there is no out-of-pocket for these services for patients. Preventative services, like many procedural services, are bundled services. Unlike documenting problem-oriented visits, which involve medical decision-making based on presenting active and chronic problems and have complicated coding guidelines, preventative service documentation is more straightforward, and its components are based, again, on age and risk factors rather than presenting problems. Now, when is it appropriate to bill for both a preventative medicine visit and a problem-oriented visit on the same date? CPT states that if an abnormality is encountered or a pre-existing problem is addressed in the process of performing a preventative medicine evaluation management service, and if the problem or abnormality is significant enough to require additional work to perform the key components of a problem-oriented service, then the appropriate office visit code should be reported with a 25 modifier to reflect a significant separate identifiable service. But you have to be careful as a patient who presents with well-controlled chronic conditions no complaints, is asymptomatic at this encounter, and they're here to establish care with your physician. That could be considered preventative to Medicare and or maybe a commercial plan. But consider this when you're looking at an evaluation and management visit in addition to a preventative medicine visit. A family practice physician sees an established patient, 45-year-old patient for their scheduled yearly exam. That would be preventative. The patient did not mention any complaints when the appointment was made and stated that she was scheduling her annual physical only and possibly to refill some prescriptions. However, during the course of the visit, the physician found a palpable left breast mass that was of concern and after completing the preventative exam, also completed a separate workup for this undiagnosed new problem. The finding required an evaluation and management workup that is separate from the preventative history and physical. It also required diagnostic, not screening testing, and a referral to a general surgeon for consideration. The services should be coded as a 99396 for the 40 to 64 year old preventative visit and then 99214 with a 25 modifier for the ENM service of the presenting problem for the breast mass assessment and plan and that falls into a category of moderate level uh, office visit. If the physician finds a problem while performing an annual physical and if the problem is significant enough to warrant additional testing and prescribing or problem workup, then the office visit is appropriate to code in addition with a 25 modifier. Many practice managers and coders are faced with the question of whether to actually bill for it. What you're looking for is the intent of the visit. And this is a controversial argumentative problem because CPT does say if an abnormality is encountered or a pre-existing problem is addressed in the process of performing a preventative medicine visit, and if the abnormality is significant enough, then you can also report the office visit. 
but read beyond the headlines. It also says an, an insignificant or trivial problem abnormality that is encountered in the process of performing the preventative medicine ENM, which does not require additional workup and the performance of the key components of a problem-oriented service should not be reported. Only the physician can really determine if the abnormality is significant enough to warrant the two E&M services, but one key to making this decision is that both services cannot be scheduled for the same date. The abnormality to warrant a separate identifiable E&M had to be found during the well check, so not anticipated. Now, the exception to that rule would be the Medicare annual well visit. Those two can be scheduled on the same day as an office visit. It is also important to explain to the patient prior to charging for both visits that two separate services are being performed so they can expect additional charges. Some patients know that the preventative service has no out-of-pocket, but as we know, a problem-oriented visit or E&M service does, so they should be aware of that. There also should be two separate documented encounters in your electronic medical record. If only one note exists and the payer asks for support of two services, you would not be able to support that. Please read my article today at icd10monitor.com for more information on this topic. And with that, Erica, back to you. Thanks, Terry. So you said that they should actually generate two different documents for these um, two separate with the 25 modifier? uh, Yes, it's best practices to do so. I'm seeing more and more payers that are now asking for two separate notes when they see both services billed during the day. Is it a regulation they have to? No, but you don't want to get that refund request. So would you recommend that they say something along the lines of the patient had um, come to my office for a their, you know, preventive care uh, visit, and in the course of doing that, I found this significant abnormality, which I felt required further uh, investigation, history of present illness, physical exam, blah, 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 like something along those lines? Something along those lines, and also usually most EMRs, they actually have a preventative medicine template. And then they usually have a preventative medicine or an office visit template as well. So it's just helpful if you can have two separate encounters in your system or in your chart to be able to support both services because you have to show that significant workup separate from the preventative. Thank you, Terry. That was Terry Fletcher, who is a well-known healthcare coding consultant, auditor, educator, author, and podcaster. Now is the time for my Talk Back segment here on Talk 10 Tuesday. Wow, that was a tongue twister. Okay, Um, why is the problem list such a problem? Rose Dunn talked about this recently, and it got me thinking. When I updated my problem list with my PCP, I had her remove left foot mass because it was diagnosed as a digital mucus cyst. But since that was excised in September, I don't have that anymore either. What I really have is Z98.890, other specified post-procedural states, to reflect my foot surgery. But is that really a useful piece of information? When in paper, the front page of the outpatient chart, at least, had a running list of problems which the PCP had addressed over the years, replete with crossouts and scribbles in the margin, and its purpose was to remind the provider of conditions which the patient currently or historically had. It seems this is also known as a summary list mandated by the Joint Commission for Patients Who Receive Continuing Ambulatory Care Services. In the electronic world, the problem list is intended to be the source of truth for the longitudinal care of the patient, encompassing both ambulatory care and inpatient services. The issue is that it is populated with ICD-10-CM codes, which may not be correct 
more optimal. If a condition is imported into the current encounter from the problem list, but the problem list is not accurate, the details of the visit could be corrupted. Without ongoing curating, the problem list cannot serve as the source of truth, as my friend Colleen Deegan always used to say. Providers use a problem list to remind themselves what active and chronic conditions the patient has and what historically they had. Providers don't really understand or care about coding's, quote, history of, close quote, designation. In fact, converting a precise, specific condition to a nebulous history of status code might be counterproductive to them. It might make sense to a provider to leave a code in place which gives them information. Paroxysmal atrial fibrillation means an irregular heartbeat which comes and goes. It might make sense to them to leave it on the active problem list even if the patient is in sinus rhythm presently. When a patient follows up for an acute illness and it is resolved, disease 09 encounter for follow-up examination after completed treatment for conditions other than malignant neoplasm communicate or is adjust for billing purposes. Coders are permitted to update problem lists, but not on their own initiative. The documentation must support the revision. If the patient comes in three weeks after an admission for aspiration pneumonia and the provider documents that they are all better, but then erroneously records pneumonia as the impression, can the coder translate that into Z09 plus Z87.01 personal history of pneumonia for the visit and update the problem list by removing J69.0? It is unfortunate that the problem list is organized the way it is. It would be more useful clinically if you could maintain a list of previous issues to tickle your memory. Some organizations have the EHR functionality to archive or resolve a problem without it completely dropping off the list. Having a previous aspiration pneumonia may indicate a tendency towards aspiration. This might inform future medical care. Providers do not like revising, updating, or removing conditions which were placed on the problem list by a different provider. What if the patient never sees that specialist again? What if a provider retires or dies? Whose responsibility is it to keep the problem list accurate? Providers are being asked to do more with less resources. If they don't feel the problem list is value-added to their practice or patients, they will not be inclined to invest the considerable time it takes to maintain the problem list. I don't have the answers about how to resolve the issues around a problem list, but you should check out Ahima's suggestions. Organizations must establish policies and procedures to ensure that the problem list is kept up-to-date and accurate. HIM and CDI personnel can be built into that system to make the problem list less problematic. It seems that we have a question, which I'm going to read, and I think, uh, Terry, I think this is for you. Um, one of the, our, our listeners asks, when a patient is in clinic to, quote, get established, close quote, and chronic conditions are assessed, um, the, the provider sets a treatment plan, but no prescription refills are needed or tests. How would this be considered a preventative visit? Because um, preventative visit protocols have not been met, order of screening services, immunization status, depression screening, etc. 
Terry, do you think you could pick this yeah. up from here? So one of the things as far as the question, assessed versus addressed are two different things. So when you're looking at chronic conditions and the physician isn't working them up from problems addressed in the complexity of that patient presentation, it will be hard to move forward and say it wasn't just a get established or preventative visit, especially if there's no data to be reviewed, there's no testing, there's not even labs drawn, anything. And then if there's nothing that reflects the risk of complications um, in the assessment and management of the patient or when to return to clinic to, again, address these issues or to manage them, then it would be hard to move forward with a problem-oriented visit. Now, in saying that, you are correct. Because there hasn't been any protocols for the preventative, and again, what you mentioned, screening services, immunizations, depression, those are things that can be included in preventative visits. They don't necessarily have to be. You're looking for risk assessment and making sure that the patient understands um, things that you're trying to prevent them from happening to them. So it is a fine line, but it was really based on documentation and how other physicians discusses, did they address those chronic conditions coming in, even though they felt today that maybe there wasn't a complete workup needed, and when do they need to see them again to continue the management? I actually have a question for you also, Terry, and that is if on uh, seeing a patient for a preventative visit, the provider finds that they have a uh, significant um, conditions, like let's say depression, and they spend a lot of time with them, is it possible to do a time-based level of service as opposed to doing it based on medical decision-making? So, yes, you can split it as time and then also your preventative. But the issue is in those situations, I try to encourage the provider to maybe reschedule their preventative visit at another time to deal with, you know, again, risk, risk factor adjustment, and then really focus on that visit from a timed problem-oriented visit. It just makes it a cleaner claim and probably more appropriate for the patient because now they're getting into, especially when you're dealing with mental health and behavioral health, uh, if they know for a fact that the patient is being diagnosed with that or that's what they're coming in to, to deal with, not a screening for behavioral health. Yeah, no, I was just thinking, like, if in doing, a, if actually in physically doing your preventative medicine, it turns out that they have something that's, that, that you were not expecting, it was not something they were already um, previously diagnosed with. And I, w- I would think that one of the things you would have to do is make sure that it was clear that if you're time-basing it, that you, you're carving out whatever you did with, with the preventative vis- visit. You need to make sure it's just the visit um, you know, if you're doing the level of service, you would have to say that the time was, that was all exclusively for the... specified. Yeah, yes. right. Has okay. to be specified, especially if you also have a procedure during that time too, that, that has to be carved out. Right. Great. Thank you so much, Terry. And uh, I think that's going to be a wrap for our 507th live edition of Talk 10 Tuesdays. And I would like to thank our panelists today, Dr. John Zellum, Lori Johnson, Colleen Deegan, and Terry Fletcher. Remember, you can listen to all the Talk 10 Tuesday broadcasts on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. And when you do, rate us and give us a review, please. Until next Tuesday, I'm Erica Reamer, reporting for Talk 10 Tuesdays and ICD-10 Monitor. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.